told we've enjoyed just you know the generosity of of life afforded to us and it's been really great and um what was really great was over uh, last weekend was you know either the Thursday night service or the Friday morning service or the Sunday service we had just a whole wave of people come through and enjoy meeting and fellowshipping around the revelation of Jesus Christ and so it was good time and so we come to that you know moment at the course of every year where everyone decides to make great statements to themselves about how their life will be transformed and made different. And um, then we get to day two and we go, oh, I better start again. And so, uh, but, um, you know, it is, it is a good space and moment and time just to stop and have a bit of a thought and a reflect upon, you know, how we have walked our previous 12 months as individuals and as a church, and, and to open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit and what he may be saying that he wants to do in our life as we come into all that the Father has for us this year as individuals and as a part of, as a local church, as a part of a local church, and as a part of a whole movement of churches in Australia and across the planet. Um, because you guys who, in this room, who love Jesus... Uh, you guys have been given an incredible amount of uh, the power and the love of God to bless the world. And the world is just aching that we would realize who we are. The world is aching and literally dying for us to realize who we are as followers of Jesus, as people of the kingdom, now and soon coming kingdom, that we live in the generous rule and reign of God for every situation and circumstance. I might just get that, um, can I get that sound, the recording thing checked? Because I don't think it's, I don't think it's going, mate. I'll just get you to check it again for me. Just trying to get our IT up to speed here. Um, so this morning, I'm not going to be casting some great vision for your life, but what I am going to be doing is calling you into a stronger and maturing intimacy with Jesus. See, when you, when you arrived here this morning, God has already been having a conversation with you. Well, at least he's been trying to have a conversation with you and with me. In fact, he, the, the scriptures tell us that he is speaking relentlessly and without ceasing. And even, if, and even if God were to close his mouth, the very rocks that you've walked on on the shores of the beaches, the very waves that you've listened to over the summer, the very songs that you've sung, the very people that you've looked into their eyes – all of those things and realities would be declaring that God is here, that God is with us, that God is speaking and reaching with his love for the world. He wants conversation. He is having conversation. And he's inviting us to actually respond in kind. And so this morning, I'm going to invite you to respond to the conversation that God is already having with you. 
The mercy for today is new, yes, but the conversation, guess what? It's a continuation. It's a continuation. And I do want to challenge you to, do, to take some time, both this morning and over this next few weeks, to actually ask yourself the question, what did I do with what God said to me this time last year? Because if we're expecting some great miraculous change from God's end, it's not going to come. Because he's already done it and doing it. The, it's, it's the engagement on our end of stewarding what he has said and is doing and how we are responding to his good word for us and his life towards us through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. What did we do with what he said? Did we approach listening to God last year like we do when uh, we're sitting on the couch watching television and someone interrupts and tries to get our attention? And we kind of we hear this dull kind of noise in the background and just like, I wish that would just be quiet because I'm focused over here. Did we treat God with a sense of, shh, I'm watching something else. Shh, don't, 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 don't. Don't try and get my attention right now. I'm too busy. <laughs> I, 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 I wonder how we've listened to God, how well we've listened to God over the last 12 months. And I know that for some of us, we have given ourselves wholeheartedly to that, to that kind of a lifestyle. And God bless you in doing so. But I want to invite you into the more of what he has to say for your life. Now, this morning... Um, it's a new calendar year, and I simply want to remind you of some basic life practices. Life practices, not some great revelation. All the revelation is to be found in Jesus. Just engage with him. You'll, you'll get more than you can handle. Let me, let me say that. He's got plenty to say, plenty to give, and plenty to transform. Just engage with Jesus. But on our end, there are some simple life practices that we can and should establish in our life so that we can maximize that conversation with God. And it's to them that I want to encourage you this morning. If you've got your Bible with you, I want you to open it up to Psalm 86. Psalm 86. If you haven't got your Bible there, I've got a few of the scriptures up on the screen there for you. But Psalm 86 and this is a psalm of David. And David, when he writes this psalm, is in a context of pressure. He's in a context of trying to make sense of his life and the difficulties of his circumstances and the challenges that are in front of him and the opportunities that are awaiting him as God is calling him forward. But it's this great kind of swirling atmosphere of realities colliding over David and around David. And so he finds this moment and this space in God and he writes a prayer to God. And uh, this is truly a prayer. So uh, if you've got Psalm 86 in front of you, uh, I'll just read it here. Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am devoted to you. You are my life, God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, 
For I call you all day long. Who's been calling God all day long lately? <laughs> oh, no, like all day long. <laughs> all day long. That's a good spiritual practice. Even as he's been calling to us all day long. Bring joy to your servant. For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, you are forgiving and good, O Lord. You're abounding in love to all who call upon you. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. And in the day of trouble, I will call to you, for you will answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, O Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come to worship before you. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your ways, O Lord, and I'll walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. Now his, his psalm goes on, his prayer goes on, but that's, that's just the chunk of the the psalm and the prayer that I want us to reflect on this morning. But in particular, I want us to focus on verse 11. Verse 11, I think it's just got some really fundamental, powerful life practices that will help us engage with the conversation God is already having with us and the conversation of his hope, plans and purposes for us. So I just want to unpack a few of those this morning. I want to unpack some of these so that not only would you, we, as the people of Jesus, establish practices, but we would establish infrastructure in our life. I mean, good, healthy, spiritual infrastructure that we can bank on, we can lean into, that we can leverage off, that we can find momentum through. All of the great leaders and kingdom players in the Bible and those of early church history and even the kingdom players of today that we look to and listen to for inspiration and leadership, they have all got fundamental, strong spiritual practices in play in their life. You don't see them when they're standing up writing books and, 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 and you know, leading the masses, but if you were to interview them, in the quietness of their soul, they have an all-day-long conversation going on with God. And they have some very simple practices in place to facilitate that conversation. It's my hope that this year we would be a people of good infrastructure, great infrastructure, spiritually powerful infrastructure that we can lean into and trust upon as the Holy Spirit builds in our life. And not so that we would, you know, somehow make our life a self-improvement program, but that we could actually come into our true identity as the people of Jesus in the kingdom of God. And that we could be a people who actually serve a greater reality than our own self that we would live a life of certainty 
in a context and a time where there are a lot of uncertainties swirling all around us. Whether it be employment, whether it be health, whether it be world safety, whatever the uncertainty is, in the midst of that, we can be a people of certainty in Christ. And that we not only would be a source of certainty, but life we would be a, a people of life-giving inspiration as the world watches us and how we do life. Let me just repeat that. That we would be a source of inspiration to the world as the world is watching our life. Now, most of us, or some of us, in hearing a statement like that, retract and recoil on the inside because we don't really love ourselves like Jesus already does. Because we often battle with these internal realities and spiritual swirlings around us that continue to want to tell us, my life is not anything worth anything. It's not worth watching. It's not, it's not more than the shame with, than which I struggle with. Friends, who have said yes to Jesus, you carry the hope of the world. You, you carry the hope of the world. He lives within you. And in fact, he has completely buried who you once were in the grave. Remember the waters of your baptism. Remember the waters of your baptism. When you came up out of the water and by confession of faith grafted yourself into the resurrected power of Christ, you have become a new person. That old self-loathing stays in the grave. It doesn't come with you anymore. In fact, <laughs> it is still in the grave. It's just the enemy trying to tell you that it's not. That self-hatred, self-loathing, self-condemnation, and all of those depressive anxieties and constrictive, addictive things have been left in the grave. It's just the enemy wants to tell you that they're not. Now, you might have to clean house. You might have to clean your house. You might have to get rid of the old tools of the old ways. But the reality is you have been given a new life in Jesus Christ. And he has filled you with the power of his Holy Spirit so that you now can, in Christ, live a life of love and friendship with the Father, of understanding that you carry the hope of the world in Jesus Christ in you. And that's not a heavy thing. That's actually a life-giving thing. You carry the hope of Christ in you. You're an amazing piece of God's creation who actually has now all of a sudden in Christ woken up to that truth and no longer live in the old ways. Gosh, what kind of world would our world become if we as the people of the kingdom followed the love that the Father has in his heart and established in our life through Christ? What kind of a world would we make? It's my hope that this year, this simple infrastructure that King David's uh, articulating here in Psalm 86 would actually facilitate through us here a growing army of supernaturally empowered people who 
willingly confront darkness. We don't hide from it because we know of the grace that we've received, the authority we've been given, and the commission to exercise. But all of that activity, all of that outworking flows out of spiritual infrastructure and ultimately that we would be like Jesus. So here's a few things that King David uh, encourages us to. The first is this. He says, teach me your ways, O Lord. 2016, my encouragement to you and David's is, please remain teachable for this year. Remain teachable. One of the quotes I love from John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, that's been a constant source of both encouragement and irritation to me, has been that he said, I want my life to be one as a lifelong learner of Jesus. A lifelong learner. Here, let me read to you a small conversation out of an interview that uh, someone once had uh, with John Wimber. Uh, John Wimber is frequently talked about as being the one who sort of coined this phrase of being a lifelong learner. And the interviewer asked John, what do you mean by this? And he said, in response, he said, in my years of service to the Lord, I noticed that many people grow older, but they do not mature in the process. After thinking about it and praying about it over the years, it became clear to me that at some point and for some reason, they decided to stop learning. I determined I wanted to live my life as a learner. This meant I often had to live in a vulnerable way, such as acknowledging when I didn't know something and communicating honestly on the subject because of that. Over time, people would say to me, you're so honest, John, or you're so disclosing. All I was trying to do was to follow through on my determination to grow. I want to grow up. It was during that time that I coined the phrase, I want to grow up before I grow old. In my mind, Wimber said, maturing is not just the acquisition of information. It's the pursuit of a combination of both information and formation. I want to mature in my character and personality and behaviour as well as acquire information that will help me in the pursuit of pleasing God and doing a better job. That's what I mean by being a lifelong learner. This is a deliberate posturing of both John's heart and mind and life before the Lord. But not just a deliberate posturing, but then also a deliberate acting on what his God and King was teaching him. You see, in that statement of saying, I want to be a lifelong learner, or I want to grow up before I grow old, what Wimber is saying about Jesus is he is saying, you're the master of life. I'm the student. And that's the way I want to live every day, every moment, every second that we have together on earth, that it would look a little more like heaven. It's a deliberate posturing. You're the master. 
I'm the student. So how do we remain teachable in this year ahead? Well, there's a few little things here I just want to encourage you to. The first one is show up. Show, actually show up in your relationship with God. When he calls your name, show up. Don't run. Don't hide. Show up. Turn up. Bring who you are. You see, he already knows who we are and prefers to see us as he does through Christ when he calls to us each day. He sees us as already the righteousness of God in Christ. He looks at us with... a. There's forgiveness, there's clean, they're cleansed, they're free. When we run and hide from that voice, it tells us very quickly <laughs> that we're actually wearing the wrong clothing in our mindset and in our heart. Actually, that stuff's in the grave. I am now a new creation in Jesus Christ. Show up, turn up, listen up. Like, listen up. Isaiah talks about being like, like a student with their ear inclined to learning. How does a student who is very actively engaged learn? You will see them leaning into what the teacher is giving them. You will see the inclination of their ear. You will see the inclination of their attitudes and actions. They'll be a little bit like Jude is right at this moment. Taking notes, listening carefully. Is there a little word here that Kirk just said that somehow struck my ear and my heart that I need to pay attention to and go back and do some homework with Jesus on after I leave here today? That, that, that's, that's what being a lifelong learner looks like in every conversation, in our workplaces, in our universities, in our schools, in our families listening to the ones who've gone before us and have found wisdom along the way in the kindness of God, to be able to navigate life that we can learn from, glean from, be empowered by, that we maintain this posture of, I need to learn I, so that I can grow. But listen up. And the other thing is this, <laughs> participate. <laughs> oh my gosh, participate. Participate. Like actually do something with what God is telling you. I, you know, I don't, I know God's pretty awesome. And he is enamored with himself in, in a sense that he is like totally enamored with the other members of the Godhead. He is impressed by himself in that sense. But he's not yabbing, he's not yabbing on, he's not yarring on, he's not just flapping the gums to impress himself. <laughs> He's doing it because he loves us and he wants for us the kingdom life that he's brought to us through Jesus to actually go to that next step of asking that question, God, why did you tell that to me? And what do you want me to do with what you just told me? participate. Partner with God. The wonderful thing about the Trinity that we worship, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is the nature of that. The, the early church fathers described as the periochoresis. 
That's a big Greek word, but literally it means the dance of God. That the relational dynamic between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is this dance. Each leading and preferring, honoring and celebrating the other, giving room for space and time to see each other celebrated, honored, given leadership, glory. We get to participate with God like that. Maybe, you know, and I've got to say, I'm not too good with rhythm when it comes to dancing, but maybe spiritually we might need to learn to dance with God this year. We might need to learn to participate with the rhythms of grace as they're being poured into the earth through God. You know, I was just thinking back about um, <clears throat> when I was... I, I didn't get... To, I, I got to see my daughter finish grade 12 this year and when she finished grade 12, they had a, you know, a big celebration at the school before they went off to their formal and everyone was just dressed up amazingly. I, I didn't actually get to go to the formal part of the formal where they danced together. I, I didn't get to see that. But I kind of imagine that somewhere between the finishing of year 12 and the, the grade 9 dinner dance that they once went to that I did get to go and see, where their dancing with their partners was, i got to say, a little clunky. It was a little arm's length and kind of, you know, how do we do this together? Hear the music, be aware of the other person. How do I touch a, someone of the opposite sex without touching them inappropriate? You know, all that kind of awkward stuff going on. And it looked a bit clunky, but, you know, as a, as a parent, I was on the sideline just going, oh, yeah, that, yeah I remember that. That's, that's just awesome, you know, that whole just coming into life type of thing. It was wonderful. But I kind of imagine that maybe their dancing has improved from grade 9 to grade 12 and that when they did their formal dancing, they were a little more flowing and easy. I don't, I, I don't know. I'm just making an assumption there. But maybe, maybe this year we need to learn how to dance with God. Maybe we need to actually partner with Jesus in the ways of his loving kingdom for our relationships, for our academic pursuits, for the way we serve children here through the vineyard, for the way that we choose to take the, the incredible resources of finance and time and energy that we've been given for the greater glory of God. Maybe there's a dance that Jesus wants to take you in. So when Jesus, you know, says to you and speaks into the anxiety of, um, of uh, lack of resources, maybe he's actually asking you to hand that to him and step into a lifestyle of participation rather than remaining on the sidelines, caught in the, in the realm of not enough. What about our art? this year? What about our music? What about our poetry, our writing, the authors that are among us? What about the politicians who are in the making among us? What about the voices that God will use through this place to speak to the powers in our nation and other nations? Are we going to partner with Jesus and apply what he's asking us Will we grow and mature? Like Wimber said, a lot of people grow old, but that doesn't necessarily mean they grow up. 
But this year, God's inviting us to actually become more like Jesus than when we walked into the room today and live in the work that he has done for us. And finally, how do we teach me your ways, O Lord? Well, he may even want to have a conversation with us about being alert and aware to the dynamics of the kingdoms that are colliding around our life so that we no longer live in cynicism of Jesus or are arrogant towards his wisdom, but that we are a humble people who realize the love and power of our God and we actually live in the generosity of the fact that he's speaking with us and giving us life in all its fullness and we choose to reject the voice of the enemy. Remain actively teachable this year. David also said he wanted to rely upon God. Um, my house that I currently live in, it's five years old, and we built, when we built it, it was beautiful and pristine. And in the course of five years, I forget how many thousands of people we've actually had moved through the house and flushed the toilets and turned the taps on and the taps off and shut the doors and slammed the doors. The, the, just the hands on the walls, the balls that have been thrown, the, the kicks in the doors. I mean, the whole lot. There's been a lot of life in that five years. We've literally had thousands of people come through our home in that five-year period. And now our home has got a few little, like, cracks appearing uh, over some of the doorways and over some of the, uh, you know, the important uh, joists and things that are in the ceiling. There's a little bit of wear and tear showing on the outside, and recently, I asked, because uh, we had like in our bathroom, some water being like watermarks appearing in the tiles. And uh, so we had the builder come back out and look at it. And he goes, yeah, that's, that shouldn't be happening. And yeah, that's still under warranty. And yeah, we'll get it fixed. And they did fix it. And yet there was another part of the house where there's this great big crack growing in the kitchen in one of the walls, up nice and high near the roof, near the ceiling. And as I said to him, I said, well, what about that? What's going on there? And he said, oh, don't worry about that. That's just makeup. And I said, it looks like a big crack to me. And like, you know, a couple of mil, and it's kind of been growing over the last little while. He said, relax. He said, you should take great comfort in the fact that the foundation of this home is actually doing its job. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, the, fa- the, the ground on which your house is built, it's moving all the time. And the foundation that you built and established into this, uh, this house is actually doing its job. It's, it's, it's maintaining everything that's been established on top of it. The framework of the home, the ceiling of the home. And he explained to me that there's a little bit of earth movement around. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. But the bottom line was, as a result of that, the the roof trusses are pressing down a little bit harder than they once were. Now, to the eye, I wouldn't have a clue that all of that dynamic's taking place. I'm not an engineer. All I saw was a crack in the wall. But he said, you should take great comfort. We can fix that with a bit of, you know, makeup. That's no problem. But you should take great comfort in the fact that the foundation is doing its job. And that's a sign of it. You see, 
the foundation of our home is what the infrastructure of our home is depending upon to do its job. Yes, there'll be some cracks on the, on the outside, but the bottom line is all of the framework, the roof trusses, they're all doing their job maintaining a roof over our home so that we can sleep at night all because it's relying upon that foundation doing its job properly. What are we relying upon? David says, rely upon God and his faithfulness. Where do we go? Who do we look to? What are we talking and seeking counsel from? And what do we, where do we you know, turn to in those moments where the cracks are appearing? Where the cracks are appearing in our relationships? Where the cracks are appearing in our identity? Where the cracks are appearing in our workplaces? What are, what are we turning to? Where are we looking to? What are we relying upon to maintain and support and, and, and give us life to walk through? Well, my encouragement and David's is re- rely upon the faithfulness of God. And if you're not sure what the faithfulness of God looks like, please pick this up and start reading it. Just read this and you will see story after account after account of the faithfulness of God to be one who can be depended upon, counted upon and leaned upon in our daily lives. But I do want to ask a few questions. Where are you seeking wisdom and inspiration from? What are the voices you're listening to for counsel, for creative inspiration and impartation, for hope as you walk each day? Is it the foundation of Jesus? And is he enough for us? Or have we been going elsewhere? I know that sitting in the ranks among us today, there is a heap of stories. And even Darren's great song this morning that he's written over the last few months illustrates the faithfulness of God to him. He has come into a revelation of how God has been there in what Darren has coined the the smallest of things, the little things, that demonstrates the big message, God cares. God cares. Rely upon the faithfulness of God. Um, just moving through quickly here. He says, uh, it's interesting in verse 11, he talks about wanting to have an undivided heart. And yet in verse 12, he jumps into the truth that he says, actually, God, I will praise you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. Somewhere somewhere between verse 11 and 12, he's gone from being half-hearted to whole-hearted. He's gone from being a heart divided to a heart united. In fact, there is a bold declaration that David is making about his simple confidence that his heart is no longer divided because it's been given to God. He, he, he reveres and honours and, 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 and glorifies the name of God. Um, now, for those of you who are in this room who belong to Jesus, it's important to remember, you now live with a heart that is new. It's not your old heart resuscitated when you met Jesus. 
That's not the kingdom truth or the biblical witness. It's not your old heart resuscitated. You were given a new heart. 2 Corinthians 5.17, all around there, talks about this. You have been given a new heart in God, which is a fulfillment of a prophetic declaration all through the book of Ezekiel. I will give them a new heart, a fleshy heart, a heart that feels, a heart that's filled with my spirit. And in Christ, he's done that for us. You got new hearts. You have got a new heart. And it's important to understand, to learn how to live with that new heart. The wholeness of that heart. The heart of Jesus pumping away in you with life. And once again, for those of you who belong to Jesus, please, this year, do not let the lies of the enemy tell you you have a divided heart. Because you don't. That thing is in the grave, in the waters of your baptism. You have come alive in Christ, as Paul once said in Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Start agreeing with the new heart of Christ in you, the hope of glory, and shut down that voice of division that wants to come around your heart and even like go into your ear that sort of leaves you feeling like I'm so conflicted inside. That's not you. That is the enemy of you at work. Please be quick to notice the difference. And for those of us who in this room may not know Jesus and continue to struggle for a sense of life without ambivalence, without this sense of insecurity and division in my decisions. Give your heart to Jesus today. My encouragement to you of someone who's, I've only walked planet earth for 45 years. That's all I've got. But what I've learned in that time is please give your heart to Jesus and he will establish your heart forever, forever, both now and into the kingdom to come. But let's be a wholehearted people in 2016, like King David, wholly given. Remember, you've been filled with his spirit to live wholeheartedly for his greater glory in the earth, even as it is in heaven. And that his wholeheartedness in you would flow into your choices, our pursuits, our creative release, and our hunger for God and the betterment of our world. And finally... David said, I fear your name. Now, that, it's interesting, live with fear of your name. It's interesting that that word has actually got two, two edges to it, a very comfortable positive edge and an uncomfortable edge <laughs> of, that, of that word fear. But in the Hebrew, in this, in this sense of the word fear, he's talking about a language that says, that senses honour and revere and respect and holds in awe the magnificence of God. And perhaps a way I could describe it, how that works in a lifestyle, is I know this is totally underselling the reality of that, that biblical truth, and yet at the same time, it, this picture does paint something of it. 
Now, for us Australians, every summer, we spend a lot of the time having a big conversation about cricket. It's all over our television. Last night, 80,000 people turned up at the MCG to watch a T20 match. At the same time, a few hours later in Perth, another 30-something thousand people sold out of the Wacker. And so over 100,000 Aussies gathered in the space of six hours across this country yesterday to engage in playing the game of cricket. Cricket's a very big part of our culture. And you may remember that just a few years back now, one of Australia's great test batsmen was accidentally struck on the back of the head with a cricket ball. His name was Philip Hughes. You may remember that, and within seconds of being struck at the back of his head by that cricket ball, Philip Hughes was dead, was pretty much brain dead, and then died not long after in hospital. This was an incredible, tragic event. It was interesting to see people were putting cricket bats at their front door that never knew Philip Hughes. They never met Philip Hughes. All they knew of Philip Hughes was who they saw on the television. But they identified with Philip Hughes because he was wearing the Australian baggy green. Philip Hughes was them, representing them on the pitch. And they put their bats out at the door to honour and say, hey, Philip Hughes, we honour you for who you are in our culture, in our context. Do you remember this event? Well, it was interesting that not long after this, well, immediately after this, there was this time, there was a small window of, of uh, grief where the whole cricketing world stopped all of its matches to honour Philip Hughes. And then once the game was re-established and going again, some of Australia's greatest batsmen, when they made a century, usually that would be, you know, a really good thing for their own career and their own namesake. They lifted their bat after scoring 100 runs and they pointed to the heavens and they pointed at the black armband in memory of Philip Hughes and they were saying, this is for you. They lived for the honour of his name through their best efforts. They lived for the greater recognition and the declaration that, Philip Hughes, you will not be forgotten. And they played that game that way. They played cricket with such an intensity to make sure Philip's name was honoured. This is the kind of way that David is saying, hey, honour the name of God. Live it in such a way that at the end of the day, you can point and say, it's all for him. It's all about him. I wouldn't have this opportunity if it wasn't for his great love for my life, for a great family, for a great marriage, for a great academic career, for great um, sporting pursuits. If it wasn't for him, so live in such a way that your life speaks of a greater truth, of a greater glory. And yet at the same time, that, that word of fearing the name of the Lord, it also has an edge to it that says, our God is to be feared for those that do not know him. Because our God is the God who can overcome and bring down kings and leaders of nations overnight and establish new kings in the blink of an eye. 
Our God is to be feared by the rulers of this world, for they do not know him. So David's saying the way of honour is to live for his greater glory and realising our God is the God who splits the ocean, drives out nations, establishes kings, breaks the power of demonic holds and can take a poor widow's might and feed many. That's who our God is. So as 2016 commences, let's choose to honour the name of our God. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Let's honour it and live it in such a way that his name through us would bless the world. That his name through us would see others come into the presence of a loving God. That his name, as we live it out, would pronounce forgiveness of sins to the most violent offender. That his name through us would heal the sick. That his name through us would drive out demons. That his name through our choices would fuel the extension of the kingdom of God in the earth. And that like David, we would be a people that live for the honour of the name of Jesus. So as we finish off this year, remain actively teachable. As, and as we start the new year, remain actively teachable. Rely upon God and his faithfulness. Be wholehearted in your love for God because that's what you are in Christ. You are wholehearted. And darn it, I want to swear at everything that says you're not. <laughs> Shut it down and throw that rubbish in the bin. That's the voice of your accuser. You have been saved into the wholeness of Christ and he lives in you, right here in you. He lives in you by the power of his Holy Spirit. Be wholehearted in your love for him. Be wholehearted in your love for others. Be extravagant because that is his nature and his way. And remember, let's live it in such a way that it establishes the honour of God in the earth. Remember the prayer of Jesus before he was crucified, died and resurrected and ascended. He said, Father, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Let's be glory givers to God in the way of Jesus. So friends, this year, 2016, let's do it his way. Let's not do it our way. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Build this infrastructure into your life, this spiritual foundational practices. It won't save you from the trials and the difficulties, but it will walk you through them to the glory of his name and your well-being. It will walk you through them. Who would like some spiritual infrastructure at the start of the year in their life? Why don't you just stand up where you are right now? We're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and put some infrastructure in place there. Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks. For, like Here we are at the, the cusp of another year, at the beginning of a new sense of 
adventure in you. Oh my gosh, there's such adventure awaiting for us with you, Lord. Oh my gosh, there's adventure. There is so much life being poured forth from heaven into the earth right now. And you've just, you're calling us to come with you into this great adventure of seeking and saving the lost, of blessing the world. But God, we need infrastructure. We need some foundational realities and practices in our life that would help us just be like transformed and leveraged and empowered by your spirit to walk through the daily realities of our life. Holy Spirit, come now. Come now. Have that conversation with us, each one. We give you permission, Holy Spirit, to take out the um, stuff that we've been leaning on that's not Jesus. The stuff we've been relying upon that's not Jesus, it's not you. Would you just lovingly just come and just remove that from us, Father God? In the name of Jesus, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. That's it, just let him have it. Let him take, let him take. Even as he takes, he's taken away your sin, let him take away the stuff you've been relying on. That's not him. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Trust in him and lean not on your own wisdom. Trust in him. Trust him. He knows what he's doing with our life. He is a good God. For some of us, Lord, we've been ignoring your voice. Forgive us, heal us, and open our ears now to hear you. We want to remain teachable, Lord. Thank you that you're removing the things that we've relied upon that are not you. Maybe they've been our own wisdom and our own need for control or our own soulish efforts to manage your words of prophetic utterance that we've got our grubby hands all over and tried to make fit. <laughs> Sorry, God. Sorry. Just like wash it away and bring to life everything that you've got for us. Oh, God, let us come in this year to the wholeness of living in the whole heart of Jesus in our life. And help us live the kingdom life in such a way that it brings honour to you. Brings honour to you. Thank you, Holy Spirit.